Hello everyone, I'm Dana Stewart-Bullock and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, I will continue talking about the subject of fascia. In this episode, I will focus on the neurology of fascia, the nerve endings discovered in this connective tissue, their function and impact on our bodies, our psyches, disease, and our sense of self. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Today, we're doing a second part to fascia. So if you have not listened to last episode yet, we highly recommend it. And that being said, if you haven't listened to any of the episodes yet, this podcast works best if you start from episode one, as we love to build upon that information one at a time. But that being said, if you really have your heart set on listening to this, I know you'll still get some value out of it. So what are we discussing specifically when it comes to fascia today? Well, I'm going to do maybe a deeper dive into what we talked about last time. Because this subject is so dense and so multi-layered, I think the repetition won't hurt. Mm -hmm. So I'll repeat some stuff and then I'll expand some stuff, especially talking about the anatomy of the fascia itself and then going into the nerve endings that are in fascia and how they are connected to other areas of our bodies and the impact that they have on us Mm. so that people have an understanding. The reason I'm really doing this is to give people a better understanding of what they have in their own bodies Mm. and an understanding of the connection between the fascial system and the immune system, the hormonal system, the nervous system. I love it and I just find it fascinating. I just think it's so important for people to understand how their bodies work. What does that give them to understand? A, it gives them power because they're not necessarily dependent on a medical professional. Mm. At the end of this, I'll talk about the research that was done with therapists who use myofascial release, and maybe I'll just talk about it now. And they found that it is more effective if the patient is participating with the operator. Meaning that they're consciously present? like a- Yes, there's either a dialogue going on or a practitioner is telling them, you know, I'm going to work here, what comes up, that sort of thing. Mm. It literally has more effectiveness on treatment. Hmm. And I believe that that's also true with any medical professional, with a doctor, with a nurse, with anybody. Again, it goes back to my whole belief about reciprocity and relationship. Because it is your body and you really are the one who lives in it and are responsible for it, I believe that the more knowledge you have, the more power you have. Mm, and the more understanding for whatever time we spend on this earth we're in these bodies and i really think it's important i wish i had been taught this stuff when i was a kid right just basic anatomy absolutely and i love that you pointed out that if you are present if you're working with whatever healer you choose to work with whether it's a surgeon or a shaman or a physical therapist or whoever if you have some knowledge and connection and empowerment within your own body then that makes it so much more effective and it also makes it more effective because if the two of you are working together toward a common goal it's that third aspect that is created that is actually more powerful than one or the other of the two of you. <laughs> yes. That, I mean, I think that's true in any field. Absolutely. Then you're, you really are creating something together. A third thing, right. Yeah. Beautiful. Which in this case would be health. So I'm just going to start out and try to connect some of this. And as many of you will know by now, my way of seeing is to look at the big picture, the whole picture. And it's how I see language, and it's how this whole philosophy of transformational therapeutics works. 
So in terms of the body and the anatomy physiology of the body, what connects the whole anatomical picture is the fascial system. And so fascia in this podcast will be the same as connective tissue. So fascia equals connective tissue. I'll continue to explain more about this system in broad terms as I see it and also as the science sees it now. And the science is still evolving. The science of fascia is actually quite young. It's 10, 15, 20 years old. Hmm. Because prior to that, it was just thrown aside. People who addressed it in the past, but it hasn't taken on the same focus that it has within the last 10 to 15 years. There's a group of people that meet, I think, yearly or bi-yearly. There are people who, from different disciplines who study fascia. And it's called the Fascia Conference, and they get together and they have research. And so it's become much more of a big deal recently. And so fascia or connective tissue is called the organ of form. I want to refer people to the actual model of transformational therapeutics. As I was doing research on this, I realized how much of the model comes out of my experience with fascia in bodies. Fascia and connective tissue connects everything in the body. So does language on some level, connects us on a bigger level. And it has to do with organization, structure, wholeness, and working as a unit. And particularly recently in our the evolving medical model, everything is specialized. You, know, you have a heart person and a neurological person and a pediatric person. I mean, everything is so specialized. And that has evolved in some ways to our detriment because who is seeing the bigger picture of the whole body when, mm. for instance, you go to a doctor? And the whole body, the bigger picture, is dictated in many ways by the fascia itself because of how it connects to everything. Mm. And so the fascia has to be looked on as a single organ, a unified whole, and it's the environment. Think about this. It's the environment in which all of the body systems function. They actually lie within fascia. So your nervous system, your circulatory system, your digestive system, your musculoskeletal system, these are all in the environment of connective tissue itself. Wow, it sounds almost like fascia is like the water of the ocean. Well, I was thinking that as I said that, I remembered you told me once that a fish in water doesn't know that it's in water. Right. It's actually very similar. Right. Because there is really no part of your body in which fascia does not exist. And it exists on a large macroscopic level, but it's also within each cell. (laughs) My goodness. It gives structure to our cells. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so if you think about If we were to study the human body without realizing that this thing exists or without acknowledging it, it would be like studying how fish move around in the ocean without ever acknowledging the water. Exactly. It'd be so confusing. And when I was in school, we did dissections, but we never learned about fascia when I was in college. Right. I remember you saying that you would be, oh, what's this stuff? Let's get this out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Let's peel it off and get to what we're really after. So just to reiterate, fascia forms a body-wide network. It's literally everywhere. There are different densities of fascia. It includes bone, ligament, joint, tendon. It wraps every muscle cell, every group of muscle cells and muscles themselves. It wraps our visceral organs. It's around every nerve. 
many layers. The periosteum, which surrounds bone, is fascia. Your skin is fascia. The different layers of the skin are fascia. Fat is fascia. Blood is considered fascia, as is lymph. So it's everything. It's everywhere. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And different hardnesses and densities, because bone is obviously harder than skin, mm -hmm. but they're both considered connective tissue, fascial tissue. So really, there's very little that isn't <laughs> in the body. <laughs> and then on a cellular level, the connective tissue, you know, it's, it's microscopic, but it gives form to actually to the cells themselves. I learned that cells were sort of bags of viscous fluid, but they're not. They have little filaments in them to maintain their shape. And those filaments also attach to the extracellular tissue. So everything is really, really connected. Wow. And then running through all of that are arteries, nerves, and veins. And then within it, and I'll talk about this in a bit, within it are the actual nerves that innervate the fascia itself. So you have nerves running through it. For instance, you have a nerve running down your arm from your neck, like your radial nerve or something. But then within all of those compartments of connective tissue are little tiny nerve endings that send information back to the central nervous system or the brain on the condition and the position of the actual fascia itself. Mm. So it's so multi-layered. Absolutely. And brilliant. Yeah. So oddly brilliant. Yeah. Just in general, to understand that this, this connective tissue that is everywhere, it actually gives form to our body. It organizes the different systems in our body. It keeps us upright against gravity and keeps us whole. That's how important it is. It's interesting uh, what you just said there makes me think of when I was a kid. I was always so curious how the organs didn't just slosh around in your body. Like, how do they stay in the same place? And I never knew. Like, they never they never told us, in, you know, in because elementary they science. Didn't, they didn't know. But that is so fascinating. <laughs> and at some point, either on this podcast or a future one, I will start talking about how the system that has now been applied to this connective tissue is called tensegrity or biotensegrity. And it explains why we do get held together hmm. and how a tensegrity system works. It's brilliantly fascinating. So I'm curious, now that you've laid out the full... I mean, vastness of what this thing really is and how it really does connect us. How can we use this information to our advantage? Like as someone, our listener has just taken in this information for the first time, like what, how can you use it to help? Well, I think what you have now is so rudimentary, so we'll go further into this, but just to change how you see your body and see it as one huge unit that is totally connected from inside the cell to outside of our skin, mm. which our skin covers a huge amount of area. I think that in itself for most people will be sort of mind boggling. It is to me still. Yes. It's such a brilliant system. Especially when we do live in a world that dissects our bodies so much and you go to the different doctors for different areas. It's so easy to not even know that we are one unit. It makes me think of when you make the bed and you put the sheet over the bed, if I were to grab one end of the sheet and twist it in a knot, I would see that stretched all the way out to the opposite corner. Does the same thing occur within the fascia that if I got an injury in my left ankle, could that 
affect the rest of my body? Oh, that's a great question. So first, I think what we'll address is the mechanical piece of it. Mm. So that's an anatomical question, like just mechanically, how does the fascia connect? I'd like to talk about the mechanics of it, the neurology of it, the hormone piece of it, the biochemistry of it, just touch on those different things. So mechanically, yes, it is all one system. And I'll use the word force. And I did a whole podcast on force. In this case, I'm talking about an actual literal force going into the system. Mm -hmm. Like if you stub your toe or get hit with a ball or something like that. And we do that all day long. You know, we're sitting, the forces are different from standing. You pick something up, you're moving, you put on a coat that adds a force to the system. So this is a three-dimensional system that is everywhere in your body. And any force that goes in is distributed throughout the system immediately. Hmm. So yes, if you're tucking a sheet and twisting it, even if you didn't see those lines of force, they are there. Mm-hmm. So our adaptability on a f- mechanical, physical level, how we can adapt to different postures. I mean, look at, think about skateboarding and skiing and swimming and all the stuff that we humans do. You need a body that can adapt under those different environments and circumstances. And it's the fascia. I mean, it's the other systems too, but the fascia has to really be able to adapt to those different forces coming in. Mm. And that's where that happens. And you're a runner. Yeah. So running, ballet, dance, I mean, you name it. Yeah, it's so interesting when you just said that because I can picture, I, I always have loved to notice how if someone does do an activity for a prolonged period of time, you can see it just in their in the way they stand. You can see that the way they carry themselves when they're not doing the activity, that they are a ballet dancer or they are... I remember the first time I noticed that was when I was in massage therapy school and we started learning about some of this on a much le- lesser detail. But I remember noticing that the one teacher who's been practicing massage therapy for 30 plus years, his as soon as he got into a position, I could see, oh, that's what his posture is. As soon as he was massaging, that's what his body carried in as he moved throughout throughout the day. And you're referring to posture, and posture is so much a, a result of the fascial system. How we stand, how we sit, how erect we are. You, you were just talking, and I, I used to live on the west side of Manhattan, and I think about all the ballerinas from Juilliard that you would see. Their feet would be sort of externally rotated, and they had a certain gait. Right. So that fascia has adapted to that. And so it does adapt. If you have habitual postures or habitual ways of moving, your fascia assumes those postures sort of internally. Mm. Well, so I'm I actually was thinking about this since we recorded the last episode when I went for a trail run last week and I ended up tripping and just landed on my my hand not a big deal at all like no, no broken skin or anything but I tuned into the feeling of my body when I got up and I noticed that there was a feeling of a force running through my hand. And there was almost a, an instinct to resist it at first and I wanted to, you know, squeeze my hand into a fist or shake it out or something. And I just imagine, well, what if I just observe this force and take a breath and let it just do what it wants to do? And so I actually wanted to ask you, and so I feel like this is a perfect place. What, is that something that you can that you can do like just 
in the way that I might observe an emotion move through my body, can you observe a force in a way that can help you move through it without keeping it stuck in your tissues? I would say yes, and that's a qualified yes, depending on your skill level. Mm. And it also depends on the shape that your body is in in terms of health and how able it is to adapt to forces coming in and transmission through the tissues, how healthy the tissues are, how big the force is. You know, the reason that one breaks a bone is because the force coming in is A, usually at a high velocity and a large force. So it's hard to, in that case, watch it. Although I remember a story when I was younger and I was working on the burn unit at Cornell and I had a friend who told me that she had a friend who got burned and right after the burn just laid down and did some sort of meditation around the fascia and that person healed much faster. (laughs) So yes, this is mind-body stuff, but yes, you can absolutely have an impact on it. You were also talking about the other aspect that's present within the fascia that the emotional piece as well. So that would come into play, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And that has to do with the nerve endings that are in the fascia. So when you fall and you hit your hand, those nerve endings will be stimulated. And then they will give a feedback loop to your brain and have a message that is then carried in the fascia. Mm. And we've used this example before in another instance in under another subject. But if you, for instance, have a little kid who falls down and scrapes their knee and one child's parents let them know that they're okay and the kid gets up and runs away and the other child's parents say oh you poor thing and the kid then carries in some ways that force that fragility in their knee because they were taught by a power figure that they're damaged Hmm. so both of them hit their knees had a force come into the fascial system, which is the skin and the ligaments and the bone of the knee, and how they reacted to it will impact how they see their body. With the emotional piece, if there isn't a physical injury, but if you go through an emotional experience and assume an emotional posture, would that leave an impression? Absolutely. Because of the neurological connections between the emotional centers in your brain and your autonomic nervous system, which I'll talk about in a little bit, and its connections to the receptors in the fascia. Mm. It's so connected. You cannot separate out anything. And we've talked about posture in the past, posture in relation to, for instance, the posture of grief, which is one of collapse. What collapses is your fascia. I mean, your, your brain, your emotions do, but then your, your body does. But that is the anatomy of the fascia that collapses. Right. Well, it's. I feel like we have talked about that a lot in other ways in the various episodes in regard to language, relationship, all, all of the different things that we've done. And so now it's really cool to kind of go a layer deeper and understand the vehicle that creates it. The fascial system, the connective tissue system itself, its job is really keeping the 70 trillion cells that we have in alignment and in sort of proper relationship with each other. So (laughs) there is a relationship not only between every cell in your body, but between groups of cells and fascial sheaths and that sort of thing. So it's a matrix in which all of this lives. That all our cells are kept in line and are able to do their jobs efficiently and and well because of this structure, this container. We've also done an episode on container. 
Yeah. So it really mirrors so many other things that we've talked about. And for me, I was, I have not seen the movie The Matrix. But when you think about movies and creative stuff that people do, it's like it comes from inside of us and out. And so on some level, that whole matrix thing comes from the matrix in which we live. Think about the World Wide Web. It's the same sort of thing. It's so dimensional. But it had to come from the brain of somebody who lives in a web. We all do. <laughs> that's just how I see. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting visual to picture the cells within this web, just like we are within the World Wide Web of the Internet. It's an interesting thing. And again, how connected the different aspects of us are. Right. So when you asked about if you have a, an ankle injury or something, could you feel it somewhere else? Yes. Those forces travel along these lines of force in the fascial tissues. And you've, you've shared before that if there is an injury in one place, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where the origin of it or the cause or... Well, no, not if there's an, I didn't say injury. I said if there's a restriction. Mm. When I treat someone, I'm evaluating the entire system. I was taught to treat the area of greatest restriction first. It's not always the area that hurts. It's not always the area of the insult or the injury. Mm. It can be somewhere else because of how the forces that come into these tissues are distributed throughout the system. Right. And so many of us are not healthy. We can't assume that all our tissues are healthy and forces will be distributed equally. Mm. So it has mechanical properties. And the fascia also has sensory properties. And I was thinking, you know, I, we did that podcast on the different senses. But the sense of touch is so profound and so important in this context because of the receptors that are actually in the connective fascial tissue. If you can just imagine yourself as a, a skeleton wrapped in many layers of connective tissue that is everywhere, and inside of this tissue, all of these fascial tissues are little nerve endings. And these nerve endings, there are four types and they have different jobs and they respond to different input. There are nerve endings that respond to a fast input. There are nerve endings that respond to a slow, prolonged input that then gives the brain different information. So in, in the connective tissue, in the fascia are receptors that tell you where you are in space, what direction you're going in space how fast you're going through space or not, and any forces that are coming in. So it's, it's a system that's dynamic and vibrant. It's working all the time. You know, you think about people who can't see, they're blind. How do they get around? Well, they're getting a lot of feedback from their fascial system, telling them where they are in space. You know, when I used to work with neurologically impaired kids, that was really obvious that when they didn't have that ability, it changes how you stand, how you sit, how you move, how you eat, how you speak. So all of these tissues are so important to our proper functioning. The other thing that's really interesting, and these receptors are called mechanoreceptors. And the reason they're called mechanoreceptors, these nerve endings in the fascial tissues, is they respond to mechanical forces imposed on them. So a light touch, a heavy touch, a fast touch, a slow touch, those are considered mechanical forces. They will cause those nerve endings to fire and feed information into the brain. 
There is also an abundance of these mechanoreceptors in the viscera, in the in our guts, basically, in the, in our hearts, and our lungs, and our digestive system, and our reproductive system, which is all wrapped in fascia. There, these receptors are there also, and some of them are quote unquote unconscious, or a lot of them are. They're interwoven with the autonomic nervous system. We've talked about the autonomic nervous system before, the sympathetic, which is fight, flight, freeze, and the parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. They're intricately associated with that system, but they're also associated with the endocrine system. So these receptors respond to hormonal changes also. So the receptors themselves, meaning the mechanoreceptors? The mechanoreceptors, which are just little free nerve endings Mm -hmm. in the fascia everywhere. So they they respond to hormonal. They respond to hormones. They respond to different pressures. They respond to barometric changes. They respond to immune changes, and they respond to pH changes so and how, chemical changes. Wow! How do they respond? We talked, I think, in the last episode. They send signals to different areas of your central nervous system that give you information about where you are in space, what you're feeling. There are pain receptors that are these mechanoreceptors. There's one form that is a pain receptor. And oftentimes when you have pain that is sort of burning pain, that's typical for fascial or connective tissue pain. There are many sensory. Sensory means feeling neurons in the gut that feed back to the brain. And I had talked in one of these episodes about the sense of self which Bud Craig just mapped out, I think it was 2009, he found new tracks in the spinal cord that go up to an area of the brain that give you an idea of your sense of self. And he talks about this area of the brain, the anterior insular cortex, is affected by depression and other emotional states. And so that feedback loop starts in the connective tissue receptors and goes up to that area of the brain and gives you a sense of yourself, which is then reflected in your posture. It's such a a huge three-dimensional feedback system. Hmm. And it's constant and it's adapted every second. I mean, just imagine, you know, you're walking down a street and then you get on a skateboard and you go down a bunch of steps like I used to see in Central Park. Like what kind of adaptation do you need in this system to be able to do that? Right. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Or even to sit on a plane and move through the air at such a high speed is so interesting to think about, too. That The signals that that must be sending to your body and without even realizing. And this may be too much information. So you may. The other day I was um, in a crouch position doing some pre-yoga stuff, and I had the instinct to do a somersault. And I crouched for like five minutes, and I knew that if I didn't do this, it would. I had to do it. So I did a somersault. <sighs> And I haven't done a somersault in maybe 50 years. How'd it go? It was good. I did it. And then I did another one. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And then symbolically, somersaults have to do with changing your perception, like coming out in a whole new way and seeing the world differently. Wow. And so what does it take fascially at my age to be able to do a somersault? Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a big deal for me. That's so cool. It sounds so stupid, but it was a really big deal. I doubt that any of the listeners would think that that's stupid because probably most of us are like, well, I could do that when I was five. I don't know about now, though. (laughs) And so a somersault, you know, involves balance, coordination, and fear. I had a lot of fear around it, which tenses one up. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so many levels of challenge. Wow. And having the fascial system, you know, being able to tuck enough that you don't injure your neck and mm-hmm. your back. And yeah, it was it was fascinating. And it, there's like I, the the urge that you described. It made me remember that I used to feel that as a kid, an urge to do it. Like, oh, I just have to do this. And with that urge comes a sense of fear, but also trust that you need to just, once you go into it, then there's no stopping. You gotta just go with it. So it's been shown that because these receptors in the connective tissue are communicating with the autonomic nervous system, there are some of these receptors which actually increase arterial blood pressure There are some that increase and or decrease blood pressure. And it seems that this network of receptors in the interstitial fascial tissue sort of fine-tunes the nervous system's regulation of blood flow. They also have found that because of their connection to the autonomic nervous system, so if you have a sympathetic fight-flight-freeze, there is in the fascia, the fascia actually stiffens in response to that. Mm. So that's the physical aspect of fear, fight, flight, that sort of thing. And so when you have stiff fascia, it changes your posture, it changes your ability to move, it changes your balance, your coordination, all of that. Oh my goodness, that makes me think of my massage therapy days. And there were some people that were chronically in the stress response and their their tissues did not melt no matter what. And the ones who were unwilling to go there with me to relax and to let it in. It was just stiff. And so that addresses the unwilling to go with you. It has to do with the operator and the patient being in it together and being willing to go with it. You get better results. Right? Absolutely. It's so true. Yeah, the ones who would take a deep breath and be there with me focusing on what I was doing and us working together as a team, I could literally feel the tissues melt underneath my fingertips. So these receptors that are connected to the autonomic nervous system regulate, actually also regulate local, which means in a specific area, fluid dynamics. For instance, when you get injured and you get swelling, that swelling is in the fascial tissue itself. Those nerve endings will communicate back to the sympathetic system and set up a feedback loop. And one of the ways of reducing swelling is mechanically putting your hands on and working the fascia itself. And it's funny, when you've worked on people and done myofascial work, they will oftentimes get off the table and just feel more relaxed. You can see it. I mean, that's the autonomic connection right there. You're you're actually directly addressing the sympathetic nervous system. If you're skilled and working on the fascial tissues, you can actually get relaxation. You can get a change in tone of the muscles you can get a relaxation response everywhere. It impacts the entire system. Right. There's some more information. The pH level of the environment around the cells impacts the fascia itself. And pain itself can change the pH level of the sort of ground substance that is the fascia. Interesting. And also, the same is true with nutrition depending on what you're eating that chemically affects the fascia and breathing. If you're sort of chronically breathing hard and fast, you stiffen the fascia. And there is an immune response that they've found that if you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, 
it sends out a cytokine. We've heard about cytokines recently because of COVID and all of the stuff that's on the news about cytokine storms and that sort of thing. I don't believe it's a storm, but if you stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, you have the release of a cytokine and it causes the cells in the fascia to contract. Hmm. That's sort of a global way of looking at it. I don't want to get too specific. So the studies they've done show that an increase in sympathetic activation, which is the equivalent of stress, you know, we also were stressed out, but what's happening when you're stressed out is your sympathetic nervous system is on hyper alert, right? can lead to an increase in fascial stiffness, which then alters the immune activity in your fascia. Because the immune activity travels through the fascia? Well, because it also, yes, and the release by the sympathetic system of that cytokine causes the fascia to get stiffer. And then that it has a feedback loop where you don't get to have as potent an immune reaction. Mm -hmm. This is how it works. You know, we talk about we're so stressed and that has an impact on our immune system. But the physiology of it is that in that stress, we release certain cytokines that impact our fascia and also make us stiffer. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting. There's a guy named Donald Ingber at Harvard, and he has shown that the different states of fascial tissue contribute to different states of disease. Oh, interesting. This is just a really superficial dive into the connective tissue of the fascia of the body. What I'm really trying to do with this podcast is to give you the ability to see from a different perspective, to change your perception, and which then gives you more options just in life. And so now I'd like to talk about the fascial system, the connective tissue, and help you change the paradigm from what has been seeing the, the body as sort of a mechanical object to seeing it as a, an organism that's self-regulating and is really complex and adaptive and depends on information coming in. Years ago, we talked about structure dictating function, and there really is no clear distinction between structure and function in this system. So in the body itself, there's no clear distinction because function influences the structure itself and the structure then also influences the function. Mm -hmm. The nervous system is not just your brain and spinal cord and the nerves that run down your arm. There are nerves in every area of your body and all the fascia. It really shows how connected it all is in terms of not only the mechanical, physical connection, but its connection to the endocrine system, the immune system, and the nervous system itself, the musculoskeletal system, that this actual system has a really high complexity to it when you get down into the weeds about it, and has a lot to do with the sensory input that comes in, influences what will go out in terms of posture and balance and coordination and that sort of thing. And also emotions, not only emotions, the, the hormones and your blood pressure, uh, just everything. So this system that touches all other systems and in which all other systems reside is so important. And I want you to understand how vital it is to health. I just love that so much. As, as I was just listening to you share all of that at the end, it just breeds a, a deep sense of awe of what we have in our bodies. And especially when you're dealing with stress, with overwhelm, with crippling emotions, with injury, disease, it's so easy to take our bodies for granted and to become frustrated with them and to beat them up mentally, physically, emotionally. 
But to learn everything that you've just shared with us today is such a beautiful reminder of how truly brilliant and sacred this this thing is. And when I am in awe of something, I want to take care of it so much more. I want to appreciate it. I want to acknowledge it before. I don't want to treat it like crap anymore. So thank you for that. I think that's a really powerful message. And I, I'd like to add a little something to that message, which is that this system is another way to access all the other systems. You know, it's another way to find relaxation. It's another way to reduce stress. It's another way to heal. Mm -hmm. And I don't see healing happening without also addressing the system because it is so pervasive throughout the entire form. Absolutely. Coming back full circle to the ocean analogy. It's just, it holds everything. And without acknowledging it, you really can't get to the fish. <laughs> and everything that we do impacts it, including how we eat, how we feel, our stress levels, any medication we might be taking. It just, everything influences it. Mm. And so that sets up another feedback loop. Wow. So thank you, Dana. This was wonderful. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, take a moment to send it to someone who would also benefit from learning this information. As you heard, this is our mission to spread this information in ways that we wish we knew a long time ago. So uh, take a moment to grab the link and send it in an email, a text, share it on social media. We'd be so appreciative. I would like to say that I'm thankful for you tuning in and I would love to hear feedback. If you could email me at transformationaltherapeutics at gmail.com and give me feedback on the podcast, perhaps suggest subjects that you would like me to cover in the future. And when I receive that feedback, I'd love to highlight and publicly thank whoever has sent it to me. I really enjoy sharing this with you. 